hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Back to a hamster with a blunt pen knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. See nothing too madly creative this time. No. Um, Sai, I'm gonna shatter your illusions right now. Oh, and do something unexpected. What? What are you gonna do? I have a question for you. What? Yes. This is messing with the formula. What's going on? No, I'm going to turn this into the Doctor Who equivalent of Mastermind. Right, okay. My question is this. Where do you think the Macra rank amongst the uh, giant monsters of Doctor Who? Now I'm including Krull, the Scarasan, the giant spiders of Metabelius Free, uh, the giant maggots, all of them. Where do Oh, wow. In terms I love Kroll. I love Kroll. Do you know what? I really love Kroll. I love the way that his tentacles just appear over the split screen and go, boop. Let <laughs> you do filthy git. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Doctor Who loves trying a giant monster, doesn't it? I think maybe the giant spiders are the most well-realised of them in... There's something about the spiders with their female voices and and things like that that I think work. And that image of the spider on the back is a really great Doctor Who-y image. The giant maggots are really well done as well. But they don't do much other than hiss and and jump up a bit. So, And this is the problem when, when you've got a giant creature that they don't do much. The macro don't talk. So you don't have any idea of what they're like as a species. They're just... Well, just that one person who's got... Who is that talking then? Well, I'm guessing that's the the macro, but it's... Again... It's not really it's, explain. You don't really have no, a dialogue just, with that person. No. And it's not like anyone has a dialogue with the macro to find out what their evil plans are. It's just... To it just happens. So they're, they're just a giant monster to scare the children more than anything, I think. Is that enough? Sometimes that is just enough. And, like, I think it's only because Doctor Who fans then go back and watch these a million times that you actually even start asking these questions. Yeah. If this was 1967, that's just the monster of the week. And this week it's a giant crab, and that's amazing. And then this week it's monsters with no faces, and that's amazing. Has the new series done giant creatures beyond the arachnids? Beyond the the macro. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and the macro, yes. <laughs> um, I can't think. I'm not sure they. Like, I'm astonished they haven't done anything along the lines of Planet of Giants because they could pull that. They off. could do that so well now, could really now, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think that they have just the spiders in Arachnus in the UK and the ones in Kill the Moon. Yeah, and um, the giant time beetle that sits on Donna's back. Oh yeah, that was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah, it was dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> considering like how well. Yeah, considering how well the spider looked, how good the spider looked on on Liz Sladen's back compared to that, yeah. all those years later, you can't. All... There's something about that bit, isn't it, where the spider leaps on her back? Yeah, um, and it kind of judders, and she jumps. Yes, it's, it's 
it's yeah. that it comes to the direction, doesn't it? No, I, I don't, don't think you get that with with Donna. You don't see that that bit. So, I, I mean, I think her performance when she's in that circle of mirrors is tremendous. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, you liar. She goes, doesn't she? You know, she's yes, vicious. Whereas here, I think we're left with Annika Wills trying to sell the fact that this giant taxi cab of a monster is is yeah. Because the, the big scary. problem with it is it's big, but it's also immovable. So it doesn't move very well from what we can tell from, from the bits that exist. So that doesn't also, help. I think that the director was quite smart in that he uses the shadows quite a lot. Yes. Shadows and dry ice to hide hide bits what works much fact- better. A very lumbering. Uh, someone should have given the note to the director of the Crotons and told him <laughs> the same thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Direction point. Yeah, and it, it's like the mechanoids. The the studios are so small that you can't get a monster this big into the studio very easily and do anything with it. I think the mechanoids are amazing, though. What a piece! They of- look brilliant. Yeah, but though mainly it's the bits on film at the end in the big fight that look look best uh, on a complete side note i promise you people we will be going into macro episode four in a second um although there's so little happening in episode four this might be the most interesting thing you hear all commentary um have you ever watched those terry nation army documentaries on oh yeah those are brilliant i love those i watched one on the mechanoids the other day the the level of detail yeah it's and research that's what doctor who fans do they if you latch on to something that's yours. You go into it in detail. I mean, the fact that they can identify which like Dalek is which yeah. by by where there's a a bolt that's sticking out somewhere on all the the casings or a scratch on on the paintwork. There was one right where they managed to trace a Dalek from the chase all the way through its appearances until remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah. Uh, that's that's amazing. I love that kind of thing. I mean, some people will say that's a waste of a life, but I think it's, it's not. No, no, no. That, that's just adding to the sum total of human knowledge. And that's what we want. And that's what Doctor Who fans do. They love piecing together all the, like we said before, all the bits of the puzzle. So you might focus on a particular bit that you're really interested in, like um, why John Pertwee's got this particular jacket on in this story, or was Graham Williams choosing which jacket the Doctor wore for which story and things like that. You think um, there's another series or another franchise that is as well documented and as well kind of reviewed as Doctor Who? I don't think anywhere any other series gets anything like this. Uh, compared to Star Trek, there's so much that I don't know about Star Trek. I don't know how they made the 60s show. I don't know how the decision-making went on in the in the 90s and things like that. I'm, I'm sure this is something you and Nathan talk about. Yeah, no, there is and, some information out there and there's some books out there, but not the wealth of knowledge that there is. No. So, who was documented. Yeah. So, But I could tell you this was recorded at Riverside Studios. This was directed by John Davis. John Davis directed many things for, for the BBC and ITV. 
Peter Jeffrey was in all the ITC shows of the 60s and all of that because you find that out as a There's Doctor a Who There's a reason fan. why you and I can do a commentary on this story. And it ain't just watching the story, is no, it? No, because we've got all that... universe of information that's around yeah. it. Because we've both grown up with that being discovered. So we've been on that journey with all the people making the discoveries. I, I think when I started reading Doctor Who magazine, it was issue 44, which was the very first monthly issue. So that was the very start of longer articles about the making of Doctor Who for the first time. So you get these little hints sort of behind the scenes of season 18 and things like that. And so I always say Doctor Who magazine grew up with me because I it really did, because I started at, at age five and, and onwards and seen it through all the sort of various ways that it's found out more about the show and if it they used to be they used to do the doctor who archives in the early days where you just get the synopsis of the story and then it moved to a synopsis of the story with one page on the making of the story yeah. one page and then suddenly you moved to these huge features that were a tiny synopsis with pages and pages of how they actually did did it and they then got access to the paper, the behind the scenes paperwork. So suddenly you've got this extra level of information and then you've interviewed all the people involved in incredible detail. So you've got that extra, extra bit. So you find out all these things sort of over the years and piece it together. And that's why, like, I was listening to an interview on Galactic Yo-Yo the other day of one of these people that's doing like the reactions videos to classics Doctor Who and she was able to watch like on BritBox the entirety of Doctor Who, like binge watch it, you know, and, and record these videos. But it was kind of disposable information that, that went in and then went out. She did her video and then moved on. And I think because of how fandom of our age discovered a lot of this, read the Hal Stammers Walker's books, read the Target novels, listened to the soundtracks, discovered the telly snaps, all of this. We've got this knowledge ingrained in our heads yeah. that we can talk about Doctor Who for two hours and yeah. barely talk about what's on the screen. Yeah, and a bit... Young people today, they have yeah, no well, idea they, they what we went through. <laughs> and but that I do think true. I do think there is something more substantive. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a it's a, a, a less worthwhile experience just binging it, but there's something more substantive about discovering it piecemeal, putting it all together, you know, as, as a as a kind of library of information in your head rather than just treating it as something disposable that you can just sort of watch one thing after another, you know? Yeah, and yeah, putting together the story of Doctor Who has been the journey of my life more than anything else, and really. That's, that's kind of the joy of, of Hamster, is it's been finding all these like-minded people that have done the same thing, because you need to have this knowledge to do this. Yeah, yeah, you know. because you can't talk about a story just by... Well, you can just you do can. it by what's on screen, but having that extra background knowledge makes it an extra special listen. Because, and again, because I think because every person who who does one of these is coming at it with slightly 
different knowledge and slightly different levels of knowledge. I've learned a ton of stuff. Yeah, I have from listening to things, and I've learned things that I've forgotten. (laughs) Same breath, you get all the personal stories as well, and what certain stories, performances, yes, uh, actors that people have met, and that adds even more context. Yeah, exactly, because we, yeah, we've all experienced Doctor Who in the same way, but differently. If you see what I mean, it's we've all sort of piece together the story of Doctor Who in uh, through the target books, through the VHSs, through the DVDs, through the documentaries, through reading DWM, but not everyone has done it the same. Not everyone has done all those steps in a particular order. So, so some people are now coming back to the target books where they hadn't read them as a child and having that experience of, of that. But for me, that was the big way of finding out what those other stories were and piecing together the plots and and things like that half the joy about having like repeat guests back because you know like i've, I've got a, a a library of repeat guests now on this thing uh is unlocking each person's personal journey you know not just yes. stories but actually how did you discover this show is it part of your life as a whole what stories mean something to you you know yeah and it's not that everyone is talking about always the stories that mean something to them but they're always stories that they've got something a yeah. connection to that they want to talk about a tale of youth you might say well, exactly <laughs> <laughs> well look, okay now we're being a little bit self-indulgent now aren't we? yes but that was super interesting because that's the other joy of this is that you can go off on these mad tangents where you actually end up saying something vaguely profound you know yes or you watch the aztecs and we know fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Mexico people from Peru, don't you? That's the one. One day people will hear that and they'll understand. <laughs> let's, let's, well, let's watch um, episode four of uh, the crab people of unnamed planet. Okay. Well, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Count us in. Okay. In five, four, three, two, one, go. You know, it bloody irritates me that Bricks Pox puts. Season four, episode 30. Ooh. It's the Macroterra part four. Oh, see, there you go. You did get a bit of detail, right? Well done. Mm-hmm. Well done. Um, so what's your um just uh, nothing to do with Macroterra, but what is your I was born story? I am the closest episode that was broadcast to where I was born is the Terror of the Zygons part one. Oh, what a so I'm sort of in the start. season gap between Revenge of the Cybermen and Terror of the Zygons, but I'm actually a bit closer to Terror of the Zygons. Let's say Terror of the Zygons, shall we? Yeah. I'm, I'm wedged firmly between Soul Deed and Pangol. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you now, Soul Deed was a lot more fun. <laughs> Pangol just wanted to take control all the time, honestly. <laughs> Mind you, he did have an entire army. Sorry, back to the macro era. <laughs> look at look. I mean, okay, they've made the macro look genuinely terrifying there. Look yes. And again, you get this is a nice shot with the people moving in the um in the windows. That wouldn't have happened and... in the original, would it? No, but uh, that's that's just nicely done. So essentially, now 
this has become this episode is going to become re- resting control back from Ben, who's already kind yes. of there, but also diverting the gas away from the macra. So they yeah, gone. and exposing they- the macra to the people of the colony, or at least the control, um, the the pilot. I always get the pilot and the controller mixed up. Who's the con- oh the controller's the fellow on the screen, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, and the pilot is Peter Jeffrey. Do we know who that actor is? Um, well, the I I don't know who the the picture is of, but the um older man is um Graham Lehman, who does lots of Doctor Who's, and he always does sitting down parts. Oh, what else has he done? He is in um Fury from the Deep. Okay. Um, he is um one of the elderly Time Lords in the Three Doctors. Okay. So he's the one sat down at the control panel in the Three Doctors. I'll do this role as long as I'm sitting down. Yes. Fair enough. I don't know whether he was was a disabled actor or or what he may well have been, but he always had sitting down roles. Yeah, we've got the, the Doctor being furtive. Yeah. Turning wheels and causing mischief. Mm-hmm. This is a great outing for Trout, it really is. I know yeah, I've said that over and over again. He gets, he gets loads to do and... Oh, look at this in here. He's like, after all, three times for he, he does a sum, doesn't he? Yes. Confuse him. And that's what he does does really well. Um, he's very good at sort of baffling people and appearing to be silly and stupid, stupid. But underneath, he's he's absolutely hugely intelligent, hugely in charge. I, I love the scenes in the Seeds of Death where he's like doing his comedy running around the base. And he's doing a lot of that. But at the end, he's like, aha, I've just tipped your fleet into the sun. Yes. <laughs> <Hurrah>. <laughs> but people don't really talk about his darker side, do they? His sinister. No, because he's always, it's like Hartnell being classified as the grumpy, cantankerous doctor. Troughton's the comedic, funny one, but actually he's he's very sinister. I mean, you watch him in, in the moon base doing that speech about um there are some corners of the universe. And he says, he says there, they must be fought to the death. And it's it's funny, they it, when that was quoted sort of through the 80s and 90s, they always missed off the last bit of that. And it was always they must be fought, but they never included the to the death bit. And his doctor really lives by that because he's killing everyone off. <laughs> it is. And you mentioned Hartnell there being grumpy. And yet my memory he's, of Hartnell is just being giggling. Charming. Like see yeah. who he's, you know, oh, I must have fallen asleep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we must never let this happen again. I know what you're insinuating. I but I can't look after myself. You know? Yes, exactly. It's very, very interesting. <laughs> Very, very interesting. You can't possibly blame me for all this. <gasps> My fault. <laughs> My footling around. <laughs> hey, Mr. Werp, can you do this? <laughs> well, people keep giving me guns and I do wish they wouldn't. Exactly. He's not. He has moments of that, but his characterization is far more detailed than... And this is what we did as young fans. You... You pick on one characteristic, and that's that doctor. Yes. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as I've gotten older, I've started to realise just how passive-aggressive 
Peter Davison's doctor can be. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he's got a wicked line in very, very dark humour as well. What's it? I've only just put it up. Well, jolly good. Now you can take it down again. Down again. Mm -hmm. Well, that bit in the visitation where she says, oh, they they might have left a forwarding address. And he goes, will you? Like, really violently. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. Yeah. I think what we're saying is that there's a lot more nuance in these performances than a one line thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Two is a cosmic funny hobo. No, he's not. <laughs> and he's not two either. So that's not his the name. The great assassinator of the universe. You know? yes. <laughs> Does he kill anyone in the Space Pirates? I, don't know, I never remember what happened. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, actually, once you get past part two, the Space Pirates is perfectly fine. Those first two episodes are very dragged out, but actually the rest of it moves along fairly quickly and fairly well. Sai, we are going to be too late again. What's that, Ian? (laughs) (laughs) This is V41. (laughs) He's so funny. (laughs) I've noticed we're not talking about the Macro Terror again. We're not, because they're just walking around tunnels in the dark. Yeah, it really has leveled out to be very traditional now, hasn't it? Yes, it has. From from a really interesting and different beginning. Well, you said subversive. Yes, it's it's playing with stuff the show doesn't normally. There is a very funny scene, and it is actually in the real story of a shot for a window of all the crabs that yes. Oh, I love that. (laughs) <laughs> and I think one's got a microphone that's the one that's talking yes. <laughs> they'll never suspect it's us you know <laughs> um, so how does a sentient race of crabs come to be gas oh, that's as good I don't know I suppose evolution happens in different ways on different planets maybe that kind of thing if Pip and Jane Baker can turn Vegetable sentient, then gas can turn crabs. Exactly. Oh dear, you know, I'd like to have seen all this footage of Jamie running around. You know, it was very hot. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting. But I think this is one of the episodes where there isn't any existing footage at all. Oh, really? Well, and do you know what? There's a lot of scenes without dialogue as well. So you would be relying on the direction quite a bit. Oh my god, here's my scene. Here we go. Oh, dear old Barney with one of his lovely dances. Everyone up, the sun is out. Ra, ra, ra. Hey, Sai, that's very good. Good. He's so jolly. Look at him. He is. I would want to work for that man, you know. He's, yeah, he's he's got a way of inspiring his dancers. He's good. Don't forget, Sai, I want something gay and cheerful. Well, absolutely. It's always pretty gay and cheerful when you're around. And we must be good and we must obey. (laughs) This is really, and I really like the fact that he uses the dance to get out of the room, you know? Yeah, that's clever, clever and quick thinking from Jamie. Well, they do the same thing at the end of the story. Trouble is we don't see it in the animation. Say, how did you get here? It's a very, (laughs) it's a, it's a a very theatrical performance. Yes. And uh, uh, it's very American. It is very American. And, and um, I noticed this with the with the official voice of the controller. It's very it's an American accent, 
like, I don't know whether that's sort of a layer that they're sort of ad adding sort of in performance to sort of add to the the falsehood of the American dream and, and all of that as well. Maybe, maybe. I, um, you know, because Jamie was introduced, right? And I think he was supposed to be, he was introduced because, you know, he was quite hot, you know. Yeah. I, I remember there was a, a letter in Doctor Who magazine that someone wrote to the production team saying that all the kids in the class thought that Jamie was, like, you know, yeah. really attractive. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's there's something to kind of highlight in him here, you know, dancing yeah. about and and being a bit fun. Oh, Trust Ola to come along and spoil everyone's yeah. oh. raw bloody raw. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice shot with the door swinging. I thought that was was yeah. nicely done. Yeah, I went to a party once, right? So yeah, you said those yeah those guys are wearing. Mm. Yeah, there was a bit of that going on. I got out there pretty quick, if I'm honest. <laughs> there, Don't blame you. There was no guns or anything, but, but oh, Ben's so. just giving him away. See, so he's not. Oh. He's not entirely good at this point. Not yet. Big close-up on Michael Craze. Yeah. Oh, no, but he's struggling. Look, he's struggling against he is. it. Now, that's a shot they wouldn't have done. <laughs> you think? <laughs> that's the shot. It's very like the, the shot in End of the World, isn't it? It is, yeah. I was just thinking that. It just needs a big fan at the end. Yeah, or the scenes in The Bowels of the Ship in Voyage of the Damned, you know. That yes. It, very Star yeah, Wars. it's very like um, the film Forbidden Planet that has a spaceship that looks very much like that. So I wonder if they're homaging that. Oh, my God, look, there's the window. Yeah, here we go. See the crabs at their work, look. Yeah. Now, I'm almost willing what to the bet they wasn't a pullback like this, though. I wouldn't have thought so. No. I don't think there were that many macro. No, what we got there? One, two, three, four, five. One scuttling into the room. Yeah, you see, I I think the implication from this scene is that the macro here is voicing yeah. what's going on on the screen with the oh, controller, right. isn't it? So, and who's got an awfully clipped voice? Yes. Yeah, I think, oh, come on now. They've literally just spelled out that the gas is what... I think we've figured this out at this yes. point. Yeah, so what's the moral of the story? Don't get hooked on gas. Like, I, I'm not really <laughs> sure what this is about. Actually. Um, yeah, don't go to holiday camps. Well, that's a very good moral. Yeah. Have you ever been to one of them? They're dreaming, yeah. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Pontins. <laughs> get a nice um get a nice bnb somewhere instead you know yeah you'd be much better off okay doctor we've got to bring the pilot here okay yeah yeah okay it's polly talking sense how can we prove it show them yeah <laughs> show it. them what's actually going they can't deny yes. no such thing as macro then mm-hmm so do we have a question from Fraser for this episode? Oh, my God, there is. Hang on. Yes. I'd forgotten all about him, and that's, you know. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Fraser. It happens so rarely. Okay, this release was slated by a section of fandom for cutting the rough and tumble machine sequence, which was too complex to... Complex? Why? Is this a fair criticism? Should the animators have tried harder? I think we answered that in part one, didn't we? We did. Um, Sorry, Fraser. 
Yeah, we yes. did that. <laughs> well, uh, well, I said they shouldn't have done the wheel in space. Animation. Well, no. They should have spent the money on this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm still thankful. Anyone who's listening from the animators, yeah. I'm still thankful. Thank you very much. Oh, look, Ben's in shorts. Oh, no, we've already he said is. that. Yeah, oh, he's still sorry. in shorts, yes. I'm, I'm repeating myself. Is this a... Um... Is this an example of a of an episode four that has completely run out of steam? I'm, I do wonder. It's, but do you know what though? I, I, okay. As going through this thing, I'm coming to not not Macro Terror. I mean Doctor Who in general, classic series Doctor Who, is that these stories generally start very strong and generally end very weak and. There are exceptions, but that is usually the rule. Yeah, I mean, you look at the amount of stories that finish with a, everything blowing up because that's the only way they can can finish it off. I mean, there are there are so many examples you can you can tell of that. Can you think of a? Sorry, we're going to need to talk about something else other than the macro because not much going on. Can you think of an example of an episode or a final episode from each doctor? classic series uh that pays off the story ooh, ooh ooh that's a very good one um okay i'm going to say yes i probably can so go for um, it an for child they make fire and they escape by making fire which is the one thing the tribe can't do and they have formed an effective team together and I always think those cavemen episodes deserve more love than they get for what they do. I was going to say the Romans because I think well, because that's just beautifully plotted. That the plots yeah. come together really beautifully, and it just climaxes with the Doctor <laughs> being responsible for the Great Fire of Rome. Technically, Ooh. oh sorry. <laughs> okay, Troughton. Okay. Troughton. Now, quite often they escape from the base under siege, so that finishes the story. Um, Ooh. I mean, I'd say the, of the Daleks. Oh, even well, the Daleks, yeah. Yeah. War Games is a good good choice. Power of the Daleks. Power of the Daleks builds and builds and builds and finishes brilliantly, yeah, so. Okay. Um, Pertwee. Carnival of Monsters. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Which just yeah. is so beautifully plotted and, yeah, comes to a perfect end. Um, Tom Baker. See, I think early Tom Baker, though, episode four was really struggle. I'd yes. say Genesis ends really well. Yep. I'm going to say full circle. Oh, yes. Because that's nicely plotted where everything sort of comes together. So you've got enough hints and they do actually make the decision to fly the Starliner off yeah, at the end. And so, I do, yeah. I love the cliffhanger as well. It's like, and we're stuck in the exospace time continuum. Yes. All Looked dejectedly right. to the camera. Davison. Androzani. There aren't many, Andrzej. aren't there? Do you know? Frontios is Frontios nicely Frontios done as well. Yeah. But a lot of them end with massacres. Yeah. Oh, what about Colin Baker? Oh. <laughs> well, I in some ways vervoids. Yeah, actually, no, Ver- too bad because it's all all nicely set up. Yeah, the Vinesium and yeah, 
their plants. So it's spring, summer, autumn. That's yeah. very clever. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Burvoid. And McCoy Fenric. Fenric is good. And Remembrance is really nicely done. But, you know, as I was going through those doctors, I was thinking about far more where I was going, oh, I had the episode. No, no, it's not that one yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't lay this blame entirely on Macroterra then. No, it's not. It's not alone in that. But in the same breath, it's still well acted. It's still pretty well directed, I think, from what you can tell. Yeah. And again, I, I wanted to talk about it because it's, it's such a great premise for a story and it's such a great setting for a story. And the fact that it becomes a generic Doctor Who story that's not a that's not actually a big problem, really, well, because we like generic Doctor Who yeah. stories. Uh, I mean, I know you don't like it, but I absolutely fucking adore Planet of the Daleks, and it don't get more generic than that. Exactly, and uh, that's that is possibly the most generic <laughs> Doctor Who story there is, <laughs> because it does everything you want it to do, and it does it incredibly competently. They go up the biggest ventilation <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> on a lot of hot air escape capture there's a bomb oh. yeah there's everything in that story oh, i love it so much yeah ben looks like it oh i don't know what he's bent right over that pole there isn't he <laughs> <laughs> okay what's occurring now oh they've just told us how long we've got to go four minutes yep here comes some gas it's coming in there oh my God. Oh, so great. they're all in trouble, but can someone outside save them? Oh, well, I wonder who that could possibly be. Be Well, who's the one person? It's Medoc. Is it Medoc? Could be Medoc. Oh, doesn't, doesn't Ben go in a minute when the macro's going, no, don't do it. He goes, oh, shut, shut up. <laughs> He's like... It's unusual though, but that, that Cockney accent because it just didn't happen again after this for a long, long time. No, every single companion is RP for yeah. the rest of the show, even Ace, who's supposed to be a fucking Cockney. Yep, that's like your Tegan's accent. Yeah, there we go. He's back to normal now. Oh, it's all up to Ben to save the day and make amends. Do you reckon Annika Wills and Michael Craze felt a bit um, put out that so much of their stuff was was junked? Oh, well, I would. I know Deborah Watling always said she was really upset that her era was so so missing. Would, was she alive to see Enemy of the World and Web of Fear? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was still alive in 2013. I was going to mention that earlier, actually, because interestingly, now I know Enemy of the World's reputation kind of shot up when it came. Yes. Out, and Web of Fear's reputation either maintained or possibly went down just a little bit. Um, because they weren't missing anymore, they don't have that kind of sheen about them. No, they're just there. They're just stories that you and can watch. This would be, I think that would be exactly the same for, for any other story that came back, if we'd got the whole lot back, as was rumoured in 2013, <laughs> it would just be another Doctor Who. Rumor. 
yeah exactly well we all all love that didn't we oh, we're all swept along with it all the m stories were coming back marco polo the myth makers and the macro terror were all coming back god's sakes those um those threads on gallifrey base they, they need to find something to talk about don't they yeah I'm gonna, there was an almighty explosion there. Does that mean all the there was. macro were... That was the macro, macro finished off. You know, they could probably make a lovely paella now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lovely seafood salad. <laughs> oh, and everyone's... Oh, they're all gay and cheerful now. That, they that are. Now. Oh, I do like the bit where he's like, oh, they want to make you the new yeah. pilot. And they're going to oh, draft us in. It's one of the things I love about the Trailson years that they do all the way through that he always disappears before he, he has to say goodbye and runs off. That's why Fury from the Deep impacts, isn't it? Because Yeah, because he she, never does that. Because she's sticking around, so they stay and have dinner and see her off properly. So really, yeah, that's really quite affecting. Yeah, and it's like when um, David Tennant's doctor, his first doctor, if we're going to get more... <laughs> first of three doctors really um sits down for christmas dinner at the end of the christmas invasion because yeah. that his previous incarnation didn't do that and it's a mark of him growing and what well, he says mom mom's getting dinner ready. good put her on simmer <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, and up we pan and pan and i mean that was a really fun ending them dance dance yeah. right out you know mm-hmm. Okay, Sai. Right. You know what we've got to do now. I do. So I'm not even going to tell you. You just start doing it. You won, me right. won, you won, so, me won. Right. Okay, so I am going... I'm going to say... Actually, the setting is good. The setting is a really great idea. Um, the idea of the colony, like a holiday camp, is a great for Doctor Who that works really nicely okay I am going to say as much as I've ripped it a bit um, this is the first instant that I can recall oh no the web planet I just think I just think taking um, a, a normal creature and blowing it up to a giant size is a really fun thing for Doctor Who to do and with clever use of shadows and things like that, I'm sure there were some pretty tense moments in this. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say Michael Craze. Oh. Because he he's doing really good, good stuff here. He's got lots to do. He's thought about how to make possessed Ben different to normal Ben, but there's still enough of Ben in in both to make it sort of work. I think he's really good here, and he's he's he never gets enough kudos for what he does. So I, I really like him. I'm going to say the characterization of the second Doctor, which finally coheres in this story. And I think this is the blueprint going forward now. And Troughton responds to it brilliantly. This is his most assured performance at this point in the season. Yep. And so my last one is, I'm going to go with the jingles because (laughs) they do just get in your heads. Like all, like all jingles should. I think that sets this above normal Doctor Who. We don't often get music in the story that's actually playing in the story. And I think that's that's really nice. 
Oh, and mine kind of is wrapped up with your one there is I I'm gonna say it's that um mix of the very jolly and the very sinister and I think that's a hard mix to pull off but in episode one of this story it does it really really well and I always love it and it doesn't happen very often where the doctor and co are like on holiday you know like a bit yes. like black orchid episode one or something like that and you know the shit's gonna hit the fan you know something's gonna go wrong but the intention to sort of go somewhere and relax and they actually get about 10 minutes worth of it before things start going wrong in this yes and you get lots of lovely scenes of annika will saying, oh this is super which is always a good thing and just as like a, a small extra the like we said in episode one all of those 60s influences the the all yes yeah it's very much of the time yeah and doctor who hasn't really captured that sort of 60s obsession with that much I mean, there's a few in the in ian stewart blacks other stories but apart from that it shied away from it it's something that they did a lot in the avengers and things like that yeah the avengers and the prisoner and all of that very much tied up with those kind of sensibilities but you don't often get it in doctor who so whilst this might devolve into a bit of a runaround, it does have some interest. There's a strong it. premise. Yes, yeah. there is. There is. Wow. There, there we, we go. Right, where are we going next? I was asking. Well, we're, and we're always going back to the same. We keep heading not to Manusa. <laughs> I know. I think we should go back to Manusa next time. I think so. Yes, because I have lots to talk about in that one. I've got to say. Um, I think Snake Dance potentially has the strongest guest cast of any classic Doctor Who story. Ooh. And one of the strongest guest characters cast. Yep. And it's one of the best realised planets. Um, certainly yes, in terms of exactly. writing. Yeah, again, it's, it's a planet like we said here, you can't imagine how this actually came to be, but you can see how Manusa came to be. And you can see how that civilization has grown and grown up like it is. For me, Snake Dance feels like a story that would have been a part of Christopher, Christopher H. Bidmead's Davison Doctor Who. Yes. Had it continued. And in. that's a very good thing. A very, very good thing. Well, then let's just say, until next time. Until next time, Joe.